If you're happy and you know it, say amen, clap your hands, whatever you would like. This is what my kids were doing over and over and over for uh, a, a, a one-hour drive to Southern Maryland. If you're happy and you know it, and then make something up, do this or that, say, eh. <laughs> just constant, over and over, happy, happy, happy. I heard somebody say once that the reason we abuse substances is because we're always trying to get back to the happiness that we had as a child. This sort of carefree spirit. The reason we drink too much, the reason we get high, we're pursuing happiness. If you have lived any amount of time in this world as an adult, if you spend any amount of time looking at articles linked on Facebook or reading the news, then you know that we live in a culture of despair, a culture of fear. We live in a culture of violence. From the events that have taken place in Ferguson, Missouri, to the persecution in Iraq, to our own communities, we feel it, don't we? We are impacted by this culture of fear, violence, and despair. Question, what are you doing to escape it. You see, some people use substances, right? To give them the high or to give them the, the, the excitement or the, that, those feelings of just carelessness and, ha- and childlike happiness. Others use their riches or seek riches. Others hope for or seek or even find fame as a way to cope with the world in which we live, while still others simply join in the violence and give in to this world of despair and this world of fear. In a culture shaped by fear, despair, and violence, God offers something better this morning. Something entirely different than an escape. God offers you this morning, in this chapter, an opportunity to be shaped by wisdom. The more I read this chapter, chapter 3 of Proverbs, the more I saw and the more majestic wisdom became. Theologian Bruce Walkie says that what you find here in this chapter, chapter 3 of Proverbs, it will give you a finer education than you could receive in most colleges. And that's true. Getting a degree is not going to get you what you find in this chapter. Are we tracking? Or abusing a substance is not going to ultimately give you what you find in this chapter. Or pursuing fame or pursuing fortune. These things are not going to give you what's found in this chapter. Dreaming big is not going to give you, ultimately, what you find available to you in this chapter. Proverbs chapter 3 is a showering display of the magnificence of the wisdom that God gives and that why it matters and how it helps you and how it shapes you. You have an opportunity this morning to be shaped by wisdom in a culture of despair, fear, and violence. 
The world needs nothing more than the church to be a place shaped by God's wisdom. To be a place where those in despair can find joy. To be a place where sinners can find safety. To be a place where those who have lost it and those who have been burned out can find trusted relationships. Meaning this, what we find in this chapter is, is, is a, a shaping of a life well lived. And wisdom not only shapes us individually as you know, Joel and as Erica and as uh, Daniel, it doesn't just simply shape us, in, but it also, it does that, it also shapes us communally. It shapes us as a body in this world and creates a countercultural community, if you would. Creates a, a, a community that just goes against the grain of the norm, which is what we find here every Sunday morning as we gather. Let's be shaped by wisdom as a community. And let's do this uh, through looking at this chapter this morning. I want to give you three ways that this chapter can shape us, will shape us, offers to shape us individually as well as as a community this morning. First, wisdom shapes our happiness. Look at verse 13. You see that word blessed right there? Everybody say blessed. Blessed Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Now blessed is kind of like one of these old words that we read in the Bible a lot, but we don't really know what it means, right? Well, blessed blessed simply means this, happy, satisfied. And as a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, the word blessed has this sense of force, this, this interjection that comes with it, meaning, oh, how blessed. Or, oh, how happy is the one who finds wisdom. Wisdom shapes our happiness. First, we find that wisdom shapes our happiness as it makes us happy in the riches of God. Look at verse 14. It says, for for, for the gain of of her, which is wisdom. For the gain of wisdom is better than the gain from silver. Profit is better than gold. She is more blessed or more precious than jewels. We could put it this way. For the gain from her, for the gain from wisdom is better than being famous. Gaining wisdom, which is offered to you this morning, uh, her profit is better than writing a bestseller. She is more precious than having enough money in this world. And look, nothing you desire can compare with her. What do you desire this morning? What are your dreams? Think of them. Your dreams cannot compare to wisdom, to what God is offering you through this chapter. We need not rehash the many ways that pursuing our dreams and trying to find happiness in accomplishing our dreams fails us over and over and over again. We can look at Hollywood and see proof of that. Gaining money never really satisfies. 
Accomplishing our dreams never really satisfies. And see, this is where we get so messed up when we think about God's blessings. Because we think God blesses us, right? With wisdom comes blessings. We think of blessings as uh, money or other goods just merely miraculously dropping from heaven into our laps, right? That is God's blessings. Like we're just seeing his, his blessings are raining down upon us like a, a new job, uh, my dream, this dream is fulfilled, money that's fulfilled. And we think these are the blessings of God and so we're pursuing these things. No, that's, that's, that's completely backwards. What we see here is that pursuing wisdom, finding wisdom is a blessing in and of itself. And that is far greater than all of our goods and material things and accomplishments and dreams. It's far better than. Do you know why people often don't achieve their dreams in life? It's because we are uh, focusing on achieving our dreams. It's because we have the dream as our end. That's what we're striving for in life. Ironically, this is what we see in Proverbs. We see this in, in verse 16. We pursue wisdom instead of money. We pursue wisdom instead of our dreams. And what we find is a life well lived, a song well sung, sung a job well done. And guess what that often produces? It often produces the accomplishment of some dreams. It often comes with a financial gain or a, a job uh, that you are able to attain. But see, these, 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 these uh, side items here of, of, of material gain, these are, these, are, these are merely side items to the reality of, of what is. Pursue wisdom and you find happiness. Oh, how happy is the man and the woman who finds wisdom. Wisdom shapes us as we are happy in the riches of God and not in our own riches. Also, wisdom makes us happy in the life of God. Look at verse 16. It says, long life. Everybody say, draw it out. Long. Everybody do that. Long life is in her left hand. Wisdom comes with life. Now, uh, let's be honest. We know that not every wise person... Uh, lives, lives long, all right? But we're still on to something here. We're on to something here. Because it's, it's not until we uh, grapple with our own mortality that we can begin to understand God's immortality, God's immortal life, and how that life is offered to us, shapes us, and brings us happiness. You see, the Christian is, is, is not someone who is happy in the fact that, that our life is hooked up for the, for the remainder of our time here and that we're going to live along. That's not where we find our happiness. The Christian is actually someone who can, can have a life that is shortened or can have a life that is challenged every step of the way, yet find true happiness. No, because they're not looking at their life, but they're looking at the life of Christ and Christ's life never fails you. Wisdom makes us happy in the life of God. Thirdly, there in verses 19 and 20, we see that wisdom makes us happy in the magnificence of God. Look, look at these verses. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. 
By understanding, he established the heaven. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the, and the clouds dropped down the dew. God, listen, God used wisdom to make the earth. The very wisdom that God has stored up to give to you is the same kind of stuff that he used to make the earth. Let me give you an example of this out of the thousands that we could probably think of. Imagine you live on a planet called Earth. Not hard to do. In order to, to, to survive in this planet, the planet and these livable areas must be warmed up to at least 40 degrees. But it, it can't be warmed greater than 110 degrees. So how is this planet going to be warm enough for us to survive? Well, what warms the planet? The sun. You guys passed science class. How does the sun warm the planet? Well, the sun is 600 million metric ton tons of burning hydrogen every second. Meaning it's large enough to have a gravitational pull to pull the earth toward itself. But ah, cent cent centrifugal forces push the earth away from the sun so that we don't become consumed by the sun and burned up. It's genius, isn't it? And then we orbit around the sun and we turn. Listen, God's wisdom did that. God in his wisdom founded the earth, put, the earth, put, put things into motion. The, meaning the more we observe creation, the more we observe what's around us, the more we fall in love with this being, this, this God who has immense wisdom that, that has created all of this, the more then we are happy in God because He is so much better and larger than anything that I can create. And friends, by the way, that wisdom is what He's offering to you. Wisdom shapes our happiness. Also, wisdom shapes our security. First, we walk securely. There in verse 23, we see that we walk on our path and our foot does not stumble on this path. Now remember uh, wisdom's role in our life. Wisdom's role is to keep us from sin. Meaning to keep us from falling off the path. There is the cross. And here's the path that I'm walking on. What is it that helps me maintain my, my steps every step of the way so that I don't fall, slip down into the quagmire of sin? It is wisdom. It is wisdom. The grace of God and wisdom that keeps me walking toward the cross. It is wisdom that will keep us on this road and we have no fear of slipping, meaning we can dance through life with wisdom freely and winsomely and have no fear that, that our feet are going to get tangled up in sin as sin pursues us. We walk securely. Secondly, look, verse 24, we, we, we sleep securely. Let me read it to you. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. The one who has wisdom has a sleep which is sweet. 
In the ancient world, sleeping was a very dangerous thing to do. In the ancient world, security was not always great, and you were most vulnerable when you were asleep, meaning that would be a scary thing to do. But here's the problem. We all have to sleep, don't we? Even, even the most productive person in this planet has to sleep at least five, six hours a day. Seven, eight for most of us. We can only do so much in our life. We can only achieve so much. We can only be, listen, uh, in, in control of things to, 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 a, to such a degree. And then there is a place for every single one of us in which we literally every night or day whenever you sleep are falling into the providence of God. Trusting in God with your life when anything can happen. You know what keeps us up at night? It's fear. It's anxiety. It's our mind finally having time to race and to think about the problems in life and think about every possible uh, uh, alternative uh, way that some, something might end. In the Bible, sleep is a hallmark of those who trust in God. Let me, let me read you Psalm 4.8. In peace I lie down, says the psalmist, for you alone make me dwell in safety. The God who keeps you, Psalm 121, will not slumber. Everybody say amen to that. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Look, I am not God. Everybody say amen to that as well. You are not God. Meaning, we we, we are very finite, even in what we can accomplish and do. So sleep is a way in which we daily trust in God, place our trust in God, and say, I am not you, but I know that you, God, don't sleep. And by the way, God is a sovereign God in control of all things. And all things work together for good to them who love this God. And so we can then trust, no matter what you are facing in life, no matter the mistakes you have made, the consequences you are facing, we can trust in God and sleep. Sleep is a beautiful blessing for those who trust in God. Listen, wisdom helps us sleep. It shapes our sleep because we have true security. So because of wisdom... We are secure in our walk. We're secure in our sleep. And in verse 25 and 26, we are also tried securely. Look at these verses. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and He will keep your foot from being caught. The ruin of the wicked. That's not uh, talking about the ruin that the wicked cause. That's talking about the the ruin that is coming to the wicked as a result of their wickedness. You see, if we live life outside of wisdom, we have fear of being caught. We live life outside of wisdom, we have fear of being exposed. But wisdom gives us security and confidence in God as we walk in wisdom, and we have no fear of being exposed, of being caught, of the ruin that is coming to the wicked. Here's the whole point of what I'm trying to say here. If you need safety and security in life, 
Find wisdom. When you find wisdom, you find Christ. And when you find Christ, you find the Savior that never fails you. Who will never leave you. Never forsake you. He is a refuge for every storm that will come into your life. He is a refuge even from that greatest storm of sin and death. He forgives us of our sins. And He takes us through death. Now, in verses 27-35, Solomon changes directions. As it turns out here, wisdom shapes, uh, shapes us not only personally, but wisdom also shapes us interpersonally. First, there in verses 27 and 28, we see that we are not to withhold from the needy. Look at these verses. Do not withhold good from those who, to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do so, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Meaning, if your neighbor needs something, more in particular, if you owe your neighbor some money and you have it to give and you don't give it, that's called, it's a big theological word, dumb. That's called dumb. But we do this. Let me give you a dumb example of how we do this. For years, I don't know why, but for years, uh, my, my phone bill would come due, my cell phone bill. And I had the money in the bank, but I just couldn't pay the bill. Like there was something in me that said, I, I don't, I don't want to part from this money. I know that I have to at some point. I know that I, if I don't do it by a certain date, I'm going to have a late fee. But I just simply can't part from this money yet, so I'm going to wait until I have a late fee, and then I will part with a greater amount of money, right? That's dumb, but should I ask us to raise our hands to see? <laughs> no, Paul says, we do this. We're dumb, all right? God saves dumb people. Praise God. Um, so th- wisdom shapes us. I mean, this is simple stuff, but this is being shaped by wisdom. We pay what we owe. We give what we have when it's needed. Wisdom continues to shape us in verse 29, it says, don't harm the innocent. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man who, uh, for, no, for no reason who has done you no harm. So there's your neighbor trusting you. There's your wife trusting you. There, there are your children playing and they are trusting you. There are our fellow church members leaning into you opening up to you, and they are trusting you. This is simply saying, don't harm those who trust you. Don't harm those who are putting their trust in you. Well, how do we harm them? Well, of course, violent acts would be harmful. Committing a violent act against them, or maybe lying about them. Maybe it's an emotionally violent act. But we can even broaden this. Listen, all sin, all of sin harms those who trust you. All of sin harms those who trust you. Sin is not just an individual thing between you and God. Sin harms those who trust you. We have experienced this in the life of our own church. I'm sure you have experienced this personally. You have sinned against God and it has harmed 
the relationships around you. Do not harm those who are trusting you. Finally, verse 31. Don't envy the violent. Don't envy a man of violence. And do not choose any of his ways. Now what does it mean to not envy a man of violence? Why would we envy a man of violence? Well, let's remember, this is the same violent man that we see in chapter 1 who, who uh, finds riches as a result of shameful gain. He's using violence to promote himself. This is the co-worker who slides into positions of authority through building alliances against other people who finds promotions through violence. Simply saying this, don't, harm, or don't envy these people. All right, so they are above you. All right, so this guy's making more money, money than you. All right, so she's more popular than you are. Don't envy the violent. I mean, sure, right now, there's, their situation in life is a little bit, or maybe a lot of bit, better than yours. But there's nothing to envy there. Because remember, riches, material gain, are not where we find our happiness. Thank you. Wisdom shapes our happiness. Wisdom shapes our security. Wisdom shapes then also our relationships here, as we have seen. So how does all of this then relate back to the church? I I started out by saying that we need need to be a church that is shaped by wisdom. How does this relate to the church? Well, first of all, wisdom matters to Jesus. Jesus. It was through wisdom that God sent His Son into this world, fully God and fully man, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It was through wisdom that Jesus lived a life of active obedience before the Father. Through wisdom, Jesus went to the cross and hung as our substitute and took the wrath of God upon Himself. It was through through wisdom that God raised Christ from the dead, victory over sin and death, and assurance that all who trust in Him will be forgiven of their sins now and one day freed from the presence of sin, being being risen with Christ. It was through wisdom. Wisdom matters to Christ, so then wisdom must matter to the church. But there's more. You see, all who trust in Christ, as we gather together in our cities and Across the world, as we gather together, we become, listen, visible representations of Christ. We we become the, the hands and the feet, the body of Christ in this world. Meaning, where do people look to see Jesus? If people want to see, I mean, imagine if Christ were to come into this world and where do people look to see Jesus today? They look to the church. This manifestation of Christ, meaning this then, the church must be shaped by wisdom. The world around us hates wisdom. The world despises the instruction of God that we receive through the Holy Spirit, through His Word. And as a result, the world then is a place, a culture of despair, of fear, and of violence. And too often the church has followed in her path. But no, the church must be shaped by wisdom. And the world must 
we must be shaped by wisdom so the world can look at us so that we might be attractive to the world. When we are shaped by wisdom, we are incredibly different than the culture around us. Think about this with me just for, for a brief moment. As wisdom shapes our happiness, we see some very stark contrasts. In the world, the admission of sin results in your rejection. In the church, confession of sin is the only way that you can get in. As a matter of fact, the reason anybody would be removed from the church is because they no longer to confess, uh, confess their sin. They begin to hide their sin. They begin to deny their sin. And now that's, that's just strange in the church. We are a place of sinners, where sinners find safety, and we confess our sins to one another. That's what we do. In the world, happiness is found when people revolve around us, or another way to put this, happiness is found when God revolves around us. But in the church, happiness is found when we revolve around the life of God. As wisdom shapes our security, we again see some stark contrasts in the world. The, uh, the, the rest that we can find only comes when everything is okay. In the church... Rest comes not because everything is okay, but because Jesus said it is finished. Because Jesus said, look, it's, it's done. The story has been written. And by the way, for those who trust in Christ, it's a good ending for you. So no matter what you're going through in this life right now, it is a good ending for all who trust in Christ. And it's been written, it's accomplished, it's done. Listen, we just get to live it out. We get to experience the highs and the lows, the challenges. But it's done. And that's where we find our rest. That's why we can sleep at night. As wisdom shapes our relationships, we again see stark contrasts. In the world, our neighbors are resources for our gain. In the church, our neighbors are images of God whom we are called to serve and to love. In the world, trampling over the weak equals success. In the church, empowering the weak and serving the unlovely is success. Friends, don't you see that the world needs us to be shaped by wisdom? This is why the purity of a church matters. This is why doctrinal training in the church matters. This is why we do Sunday school classes. This is why relationships being developed and nurtured matters. This is why we do small groups, house communities. This is why, this is why it all matters. This is why confession of sin, instead of hiding your sin, matters. This is why wolves in sheep's clothing are so dangerous. This is why the childish attitude of I'm leaving and taking my toys with me over every little argument is so destructive. Because see, all of these scenarios cause the church to lie about who Jesus is. We're lying to the world when we are not shaped as a community by wisdom. 
My final challenge to you then is this. My final challenge. Figure out how you would answer or interpret verse 33. Look at verse 33. I'm sorry, verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgraced. Figure out what that means to your life. How we understand Christ in that verse says everything about our place with God. You see, the Gospel says this. The Gospel says that we are not the wise, but we are the fools. The Gospel says that we have not earned our honor as a result of things we have done, but the Gospel says that we have earned shame. Christ is honor. Christ is the only honorable human to ever live. Christ is the wisest man to have ever lived. And when we look at the cross, we see Christ in all of His wisdom, honorable, hanging in the place of fools. Listen, taking upon our shame upon Himself. Dying in our place. And all who trust in His wisdom, all who trust in His life and in His death, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will inherit honor, will be made wise. The longer we look at Christ, the more wise we become. The more we find ourselves in Christ, the more we are operating in wisdom because only in Christ is there wisdom. And the wise, as we grow in wisdom, don't earn, but listen, inherit honor. Jesus is the giver of honor. He graces it to us. He changes us individually. And He changes us as a church. In this culture of fear, despair, and violence, Let us be shaped by Christ. Let us be shaped by His wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You shape us. Let us continue to become a community that looks more and more, week after week, like Jesus. We are not a perfect church, as there is no perfect church. But God, the more that we confess our sins to one another, the more we realize that we are actually operating in the way that you planned for us to. And that is to be a place that is safe for sinners to find grace, hope, and change. A place for those who, have, who are in despair to find joy. And a place for those who fear to find security. Shape us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.